this is Bridget, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today, I want to give a quick trigger warning. We're talking about abortion, and today's conversation includes mentions of gun violence. So if that's something that is hard for you, just know that's what we're talking about today. Now, today's episode is the first in a series called All About Abortion. You may already know some of the basics about the abortion debate, but on this series, we're really breaking down some different aspects of abortion that you might not know about, and we're starting with clinic escorts. When I worked at Planned Parenthood, most of my work was done behind a computer. Occasionally, it took me to an in-person rally outside Congress or the Senate, but for the most part, my colleagues and I helped reproductive justice from the comfort of a temperature-controlled office. Clinic escorts are different. If there's a war on women's health, they're at the front lines. You see them in brightly colored vests, walking people into Planned Parenthood health centers, using their bodies to create a physical barrier between throngs of screaming, praying, anti-abortion protesters, and patients seeking abortions. But what exactly does a clinic escort do, and what does it take to become one? For answers, I attended a training for soon-to-be clinic escorts in Washington, D.C. Um... Our focus is the patient. We are not counter-protesters. And um, that is something we're going to be repeating frequently throughout this training because it's very important. And it's, it's not for everybody. So if you decide at the end that it isn't for you, that's just fine. Um, there's a... Um, does it... We are a pro-choice organization, obviously, and some of us are very passionate about um, being pro-choice, but our focus when we're on site at the clinic is to be um, non-political in that, in that we do not engage with protesters who show up. That is not our focus. Our focus is the patient. So our agenda is going to be to... Um, Olivia's going to talk a little bit about the history of the organization. You're welcome to ask questions at any time. So um, I'm just doing just a little history on Wactive, um, and this will roughly correspond with whatever you read on page two. Um, Wactif was an originally formed. Um, we always sort of we sort of say we have this kind of cumbersome name, the Washington Area Clinic Defense Task Force, because WACTIF was originally uh, formed in the late '90s when there started to be a lot of clinic blockades and a lot of clinics were experiencing harassment. Patients were being blocked, and so a bunch of different area activists were um, trying to help out, and they found that they were all sort of converging on um, on the same clinic on the same days, and other clinics were not getting any protection. And so they formed what they thought was sort of an ad hoc, not going to last very long, uh, group, the Washington Area Clinic Defense Task Force, uh, WACTIF, we call ourselves, and uh, in fact, WACTIF has now been around for, we're probably closing in on 30 years. Really? I would yeah, think so. I guess um, that's right. <laughs> so it wasn't as ad hoc as we hoped. But um, it's, it's kind of a, I think it's a typical D.C. story in that you have a lot of activists, you have a lot of people who like to organize. So, um, so an interesting, I was told by the security director of the National Abortion Federation in 2007, I believe, that WACTIF is the only freestanding, not specifically clinic-affiliated clinic defense group that she knew of in the nation. 
most other, uh, if you've escorted anywhere else, and we might, we'll probably ask you if you have, if you've escorted anywhere else, you were probably organized by the clinic by to be a clinic volunteer. And so WACTIF is very unusual in that we are completely, we are our own 501c3, um, and we are, as Megan said, all volunteer run. Uh, we also run on consensus, um, also legacies from the original founding. And um, and so when, you, when you're volunteering with WACTIF, you are a WACTIF volunteer, you're not a clinic volunteer. Um, so that's one change. Uh, I don't know if I need to say much else about the history of WACTIF. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, when we go through the goals and guidelines, we'll talk about um, some stuff that used to apply more and we still talk about it. Um, but we're going to try to give you a really good picture of what escorting looks like, what a typical Saturday looks like, what will be expected of you. Um, certainly, um, Megan and I both escort at the um, at the uh, the Planned Parenthood that's actually not that far from here. Um, but we've also escorted at a few other sites. We can give you some hints about that. They asked me to shut off my recorder, and I did. But here's what you need to know. The trainers say the most important goal in escorting is making sure the experience is as calm as possible for the patient entering Planned Parenthood. When a patient enters a health center, sometimes they're confused. Sometimes they're understandably in their own head and not fully aware of their surroundings. This is where escorts come in. It's important that patients visually identify clinic escorts as their friend right away. They can be physically overwhelmed by anti-choice protesters rushing toward them to offer pamphlets, screaming in their face, or otherwise invading their personal space. It seems kind of unbelievable, but in D.C., protesters can legally get pretty close to someone entering a Planned Parenthood. It's considered public property until they reach the door. And while they can and often do impose on their physical space, protesters can't physically block Planned Parenthood doors. This is thanks to FACE, or the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. Signed into law by Bill Clinton in May of 1994, it's the only law regarding protest at reproductive health centers in the U.S. Enacting this bill to provide freedom of access to clinics has been a priority because protecting the freedoms of our citizens is surely chief among the responsibilities of the President of the United States. This bill is designed to eliminate violence and coercion It is not a strike against the First Amendment. Far from it, it ensures that all citizens have the opportunity to exercise all their constitutional rights, including their privacy rights, under the Constitution. Faith was enacted after the murder of Dr. David Gunn in 1993. Gunn's children were in the audience during the signing. From 1993 to 1998, there were six murders of doctors who provide abortions and their staff. Now, Faith prohibits three things— One, the use of physical force. Two, threat of physical force. And three, physical obstruction to intentionally interfere with any person who is obtaining or providing reproductive health services. Now, before FACE, anti-abortion protesters would physically block health center doors, but this law forced them to change their tactics. Just like clinic escorts are organized and trained in a specific set of tactics, anti-abortion protesters who stand outside clinics, well, they're trained and organized too. They arrive in shifts. After FACE made it illegal for them to physically block clinics, they divided into two major camps. Prayer sayers, people who stand outside on the sidewalk and pray out loud, and, quote, sidewalk consolers, or what the trainers just called stalkers. These are people who rush at the patients and desperately talk them out of trying to have an abortion. The anti-abortion protesters have a whole slew of tactics, but mainly it sounds like they just want to get the clinic escorts goat and make them lose their cool. One trainer even shared a story about one particular anti-abortion protester 
who walks slowly in front of clinic escorts and stops abruptly. If the escort who's walking behind her bumps into her, she causes a scene and threatens to call 911. You might be thinking, why don't they call 911? Well, it turns out that flashing lights and police outside of a health center does not make for a calming experience walking into a clinic. And providing a calming experience for the patient is a clinic escort's number one goal. Another thing to know about these protesters is that they have a surprising secret weapon, politeness. Many of these protesters are older. Some look like kindly grandmothers. Many of them are white and male. Many of the people entering a health center will be young people of color. The anti-abortion protesters know this. They know that the social moray is to be polite, particularly if you're young and the other person is old. Think about it. When you're handed a pamphlet on the street, you usually just take it, even if you're planning on throwing it in the trash later. Abortion clinic protesters know this, and they use it to their advantage. The trainers tell me that politeness is one of the biggest enemies to their work. Part of their role as escorts is simply giving the patient permission to be rude. You don't have to take that flyer. I can throw it away for you. Or those protesters might say some nonsense to you as you walk in, but you don't have to listen. They simply remind the patient that it's okay to not engage. The escorts seem to almost have a working relationship with these protesters. They know most of them by name, and if not by name, by nickname. They know their personalities and behavior. Some are described to me as manic pacers. Others as big, loud personalities who get in your face. Some are sulky and unassuming. The thing that surprised me most about the women running the training, volunteers who've been escorting for years, is how much of a sense of humor they have. They joke about the best insults they've heard on the job and the most memorable things they've seen. They almost sound like military buddies swapping war stories, and in a kind of way, that makes sense. As the fight for reproductive freedom at times can seem like an actual war. I think there's definitely a war on women's health. It sounds like such a catchphrase. It sounds like marketing propaganda, but it's kind of the only way you can describe it.、Um, looking at it from a number of angles, the first thing is that simple access to healthcare for women or reproductive healthcare for anybody becomes so politicized as soon as legislation is introduced or an issue is. Being discussed in the national dialogue about access to women's healthcare, quote unquote, the assumption is that this is a Trojan horse from a militant left-wing agenda, and 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 we have to stop this. When really, sometimes no, it's just about women deserve to see the doctor, people deserve to have reproductive healthcare, but it can never be talked about just in those terms. It's always hyperpoliticized. Known as clinic escort on Twitter. Michelle has been escorting since the murder of Dr. Tiller in 2009. After the shooting at a Planned Parenthood in 2015 in Colorado killed three and injured nine, Michelle began tweeting out the details of a hundred attacks on Planned Parenthoods using the hashtag "Is a hundred enough?" You also have to look at the numbers on maternal mortality in this country are shameful. They're egregious. It doesn't have to be that way, but it is that way. Directly connected, I think, to politicization of of healthcare access is the fact that women in America are much more likely to die in pregnancy or childbirth than they are in most of the other so-called developed countries.、Um, and it's, of course, that's worse when you look at different socioeconomic classes.、Um, there's parts of the country. Where, for example, black women are twelve times as likely as white women in those same communities to die in childbirth. What is that? That is that is politicized access. That is racism. That is economic disparity. And and yeah, that's warfare because that's killing people.、Um, another way in which there is a war on women's health is the atmosphere outside of 
so many of our clinics is deeply politicized, deeply contentious. It is a site of conflict when it should just be a site of somebody trying to walk through a door to see a doctor for whatever reason they need to see the doctor. But in order to do that, they've got this this gauntlet they have to run of people with signs or propaganda or condemnation. And that's madness. That is absolute madness. I can't say that that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world because American anti-choicers have in fact exported clinic harassment to numerous places around the world via the 40 Days for Life campaign, via any number of other other attempts to politicize healthcare there the same way they have here. It's growing, it's spreading, and it's shameful. Where all have you done clinic escorting? So I've done clinic escorting in nine states. Um, a couple of states, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, were places where I was a regular kind of weekly escort. But I also go to protests that are kind of a big national event when anti-choicers mobilize to harass the crap out of one particular clinic. And that has been in Alabama, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, Mississippi, Nebraska, and in North Carolina. How did you get into this kind of work? I started volunteering as a clinic escort in June of 2009, which was one week after anti-choicers killed Dr. George Tiller in his church in Kansas. Dr. Tiller was a pretty well-known provider of later pregnancy abortions. He had been harassed badly for many years. There had been in the 90s, um, thousands and thousands of arrests of protesters at his clinics. There had been attacks. He had even been shot once before, but survived and came back to work. In 2009, a former protester and militia member named Scott Roeder set a trap and and waited at Dr. Tiller's church, uh, where he was an usher, and and shot him in the head for, for having had the temerity to give women reproductive health care that they needed. And I knew that I needed to get involved. I remembered the 90s. I'm old enough that I remembered the clinic violence of the 90s. I remembered when other doctors were being killed. That hadn't happened at all in years. The entire Bush administration went by without a, a single doctor getting shot. But, uh, but within months of President Obama's election, um, right-wingers went nuts in this country and they began the violence again. I knew that I had to get involved because it just it just pisses me off the idea that 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 people in this caring profession who help people in a very vulnerable place they have to risk their lives to do that and patients have to show up afraid to go to the doctor uh uh-uh. I mean if I can help that I'm going to help that and so that's why I started Do you think that when Obama was elected that changed the way that anti-choicers were operating When Obama was elected, um, you saw things change in anti-choice kind of um, engagement in in the culture and in politics. I think that when W was president, the second Bush presidency, um, I think that they felt pretty comfortable that their kind of ultimate aim, which is, of course, to end abortion, uh, I think that they felt that goal was being advanced in legislative means and that they didn't have to take matters into their own hands. When Obama was elected, that changed. They could no longer rely on the Department of Justice to kind of turn a blind eye to to clinic harassment. Um, and so, yeah, clinic violence began to increase. Um, the National Abortion Federation 
tracks numbers, so does the Feminist Majority Foundation. Both of those organizations watch clinic violence over time. And you can see in the incident reports that absolutely things got a little wild outside of the clinics um, as soon as Obama was elected. Let's take a quick break. And we're back. What's the most memorable thing you've seen as an escort? Uh, I have seen some kind of crazy things as a clinic escort. Um, I mean, uh, most of the time it's boring, and that's good, because if it's boring, that means that the anti-choicers are choosing to use their manners that day, and um, and that means that patients are having an okay experience getting in past them. But the other 10% of the time, things can get crazy on the sidewalks. I have seen... So at the first clinic where I regularly escorted in New Jersey, we had an evangelical biker gang who showed up um, every Saturday. They would roll up on their bicycles, on their on their motorcycles, excuse me, and they would roll up real quiet. And when they were done harassing people for the day, they'd tear off with a great roar of engines. Um, these evangelical bikers at this clinic in New Jersey wore biker drag, is, is how I think of it. They had these, like, big leather jackets with, like, God stuff written on the back. And they had, like, chains and, and, and long hair. And, like, they, they were in drag. They, they were wearing a costume. They were playing the part. And they'd show up on their motorcycles to, to scream things like, Don't go in there. It's murder. We can help you. Well, who's going to look at the Jesus screaming biker gang at the end of the clinic driveway and be like, yes, you're the guy who's going to help me. You're exactly the, 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 the savior I needed in this moment. Um, that was always a fun time. I have seen, I have seen anti-choicers outside of clinics, um, decorate snowbanks with bottles of ketchup to make it look like blood and like plant a sign at the top of the snowbank that says abortion kills. And then they use ketchup to make blood. And I guess that makes a very persuasive argument to somebody somewhere, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, I have seen anti-choicers put a closed sign at the end of a clinic driveway uh, to try to turn people away, which is Absolutely a violation of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, but they don't care. Um, my God, I, I have gone chest to chest with dudes who felt like trespassing was a thing they could get away with if nobody stopped them, and I felt it was my obligation to try to stop them. And when you are standing there with your chest pressed up against a dude who's 6'5 and 300 pounds, if he's an ounce, you realize that, um, <laughs> that, that you have no control over where the situation is going to go. Um, it ended up fine, by the way, but I was kind of terrified for a few minutes there. There's a lot that happens outside of a clinic that, um, that would be acceptable in no other social context in this country. It is targeted harassment. You don't see people standing outside of steakhouses screaming, meat is murder, and like, I don't know, flinging propaganda at people. You don't see um, people standing outside of tobacco stores, vape shops, shouting about lung cancer with giant six-foot-tall blow-ups of, of cancerous lung tumors. That doesn't happen, but somehow... This is just kind of accepted outside of clinics. 
So what do you think motivates people who feel this way, people who stand outside of clinics in the cold and shout at strangers as, as they're going in? What do you think motivates someone to do that? I cannot begin to imagine what goes through somebody's head to think that, like, who would Jesus harass today? Jesus would probably not actually harass anybody. Um, and yet anti-choicers do it. I do think that on the anti-choice side, there is a myth that is purposely propagated about the efficacy of what they call sidewalk counseling. I call sidewalk bullying. They call it sidewalk counseling. Um, they put out these numbers like, oh, you know, we saved X number of lives today. And, and it probably makes them feel really good. But also those numbers are crap. And I can tell you they're crap because having been inside and outside of clinics where these counts are happening, I know that a life saved by an anti-choicers count may very well be just a patient who walked in and was sent out the door again because she was at the wrong location. That happened frequently at my New Jersey clinic where there were two clinics very close together. A patient would show up at the wrong clinic and be sent out and the anti-choicers on the sidewalk would rejoice. Hallelujah! She changed her mind. We saved a baby. Woo! That's not a save. She's going around the corner and she's getting that abortion, dude. Uh, so, so, but, so they, they, they have this kind of hero narrative. Sidewalk harassers have a hero narrative where they kind of feed on each other. Like, we're making a difference. We're actually doing the thing. But you're, you're not. You're just making life harder for people whose life in that moment is actually probably already pretty difficult. Does your work as a clinic escort ever make you want to kind of give up on humanity? You see such, horrible things. You see people harassed during what's probably a tough time in their life. Does it ever make you want to give up? Like, how do you stay sane when you see this kind of thing all the time? I don't want to give up on humanity from what I've seen as a clinic escort, but I do less of it now. At this point, I'm no longer a regular escort at any one clinic. I just kind of travel to the larger national scale events because it does kind of wear on you to drag yourself out of bed before dawn on a Saturday morning and get screamed at for hours. Um, but I'm not going to give up escorting completely, and I'm certainly not going to give up talking about the need for safe legal abortion access because it's a fact of life. Um, people need this service. People deserve this service. And it, as much as it makes me just despair for the way humanity can treat each other to see some of what happens outside of clinics. It also does motivate me to realize that somebody needs to be fighting back. Somebody needs to be helping and supporting and defending the people who need to access clinics and get whatever form of healthcare that they need. If you could tell the protesters outside of clinics one thing, what would it be? I'll tell you something that I have told a protester or two. Um, I don't engage as a clinic protester. It is not my job to counter protest. It is not my job to shout back. It is my job to get a person in the door safely and without incident and in the most stressful, stress-free way possible. Um, but in contexts where I have had business at a clinic personally on a day when I wasn't escorting and there were no patients involved, I might just shout back. And what I have said to some of these protesters is that Jesus would be really ashamed of you. I went to Catholic school. I have read my Bible. Jesus was not about harassment. He was not about shaming. 
Um, in fact, he hung out with some of the same sorts of women that would be called sluts and whores by the religious right today. So I have told protesters that Jesus would be ashamed of you because your practice is a mockery of Christian love and they should be ashamed. They're not, but they should be. After talking to Michelle, I wanted to know more. So I went to Planned Parenthood. You'll hear how that went down after a quick break. And we're back. I spend the morning outside of a Planned Parenthood health center in Washington, D.C., a health center where I've actually gotten routine preventative services myself. When I arrive, it's 30 degrees at 8 a.m. on a Saturday, and already a handful of women outside the clinic are holding signs. One of the protesters, an older black woman, smiles warmly at me. I can see how it would be difficult to be impolite to her. She actually looks a lot like my own grandmother. And I realize that a lot of being an escort is just waiting and waiting and waiting. I remember something the clinic escort trainer said. As clinic defenders, the best day is a boring day. A day where no one shows up and the escorts do nothing is considered a good day on the job. Today is not one of those days. As people begin to enter the clinic, protesters rush at them, pleading them not to go in. We can help you, they say. What would it take for you not to go through with this abortion? We will do anything, anything to help you. In the name of Jesus, we will do anything to help you. Anything. We're here to save lives. Despite their protests, all of the women still enter the clinic. By 11, there's a larger crowd. The crowd includes a few young people in their 20s and 30s, the sort of people you'd imagine would be at brunch at 11 a.m. on a chilly Saturday not shouting outside of Planned Parenthood. I see a nun shuttling carfuls of people a few times back and forth, some holding prayer beads. A priest leads the group in prayer, but stops because he wants to know what I'm doing. That's what I'm never told you. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Blessings to you. You too. All right. The older black woman, the one I pegged as a sweet grandma, asks me if I'm married, and I shake my head no. That's because your husband was probably aborted, she tells me. A young black couple enters the clinic, cradling each other. Two older women, one black, one white, began to engage them. They continue even after they disappear into the building. In case you can't hear that, she says, I would hope a black man wouldn't take his child to a place like that. For her, this is racially charged. She hands me pamphlets about abortion being black genocide and about how MLK's niece says she regrets her abortion. I knew I'd feel really angry, but mostly, I just feel sad. It made me sad that patients are made to deal with this. It makes me sad that anyone would choose to spend their Saturday berating strangers for their choices. What's your advice for someone who might want to get involved in escorting? So my advice for potential aspiring clinic escorts, um, number one, not every clinic uses escorts. There are some that actually think it just kind of makes things worse. Um, number two, 
not every clinic um, needs escorts. Fortunately, it is not every clinic in this country that does have a harassment problem, although it is many of them. Um, but if you live in an area that uses clinic escorts at the local clinic and that needs clinic escorts at the local clinic, the thing I would say is that it's not for everybody and that's okay because you really do have to bite your tongue. The anti-choicers on that sidewalk are going to mock you. They're going to get up in your face. They're going to shout at you. They're going to shame you. They're going to take your picture. They're going to try everything they can to harass and intimidate you. And you cannot react, at least not there on the sidewalk, because the entire goal is getting patients, visitors, and staff inside of that clinic safely and without incident. If you want to counter-protest, if you want to argue with anti-choicers, I'm here for that. I do that. But I do that at a rally. I do that on Twitter. I do that away from this place of conflict that should be simply a place of health care. So if you are the kind of person who can't bite your tongue when somebody is trolling you hard to your face, I thank you for your interest in helping with our cause, but I would ask you to stay away from our clinics. Well, Sminty listeners, this was a tough one. I want to know, are you a clinic escort? Is this something you'd ever consider doing? Have you seen clinic escorts in your town? Let me know. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, and as always, we love getting your emails at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm.